0: Good morning, how's everyone doing? Good, are we awake this morning? There there we go. Hi, my name's Eric, if you haven't met me. Uh, we're so glad you're here to worship with us. If you're new, we'd love to get to know you and help you connect with our church. Um, there's a welcome center out there in the courtyard where we'd love to help plug you into our church. Uh, same with our friends and family online. Uh, this morning we have a special treat. Uh, we have the Deaf Church with us with Pastor Jeff, so let's welcome our Deaf Church family down here. This is how we welcome them. Um, so, uh, some people don't know this. I'm just going to help you see this come together. Is that we have a deaf church here at LBC. And so, this is what's called the A building. That's where all the adults are. The B building, the middle building, building, that's where the children are. And then the C building, the far building, that's where the youth and our deaf church are. And so, their room, their building is the furthest against that wall out near Ash. And so, they gather and meet and worship. And so some of the questions we get are, you know, why don't we just have an interpreter that interprets while one of us preaches? Um, so if you're unfamiliar, uh, for deaf people, they would catch less than half of what's being said uh, through that process. Uh, They lose things like idioms, metaphors, cultural context, you know, cultural just ideas we have. And so for them to hear God's word taught in their native language, American Sign Language, Uh, is a huge, huge deal. Uh, So in the other part of this is there's not another deaf church within 120 miles in every direction. Isn't that crazy? And so Pastor Jeff is faithful. Uh, He has a big following online because there's just not people teaching God's word uh, in American Sign Language. And so we're blessed to have that, that the deaf church has him. Uh, Pastor Jeff has a huge ministry in the prison, uh, as well as in Haiti and helping them. And so Pastor Jeff is just a blessing to our church, and he's going to open God's Word with us this morning. So let's go ahead and welcome Pastor Jeff. Uh, A few things for you to know. He's the best athlete on our staff. Um, Yes, he uh, is from Florida, so he's a Gators fan. And so he proudly reps those sports. And uh, you can actually talk to Pastor Jeff. Uh, If you don't cover your mouth, he can read your lips, and he can actually communicate back with you. And so uh, we're just so excited for him this morning and love him. So please welcome again, Pastor Jeff.
1: Greetings, greetings. Good morning, LBC and Deaf Church as well. Good morning to all of you. Hey, thanks, Eric, for that kind introduction and welcome of all the deaf church. It's fun to have the hearing and deaf people come together for worship this morning. I do want you to know maybe some of you, maybe you're new here. You've never seen me before here. I just want to share very briefly a little bit about me. I'm a full-time pastor here at the Deaf Church and have been since 2005. Let me tell you a little bit about our program in the C Building. We come together on Sundays for our worship time at 10 a.m. It's a place for us to come and worship in our own language, American Sign Language. And then Wednesday... We continue that study. We have an intimate Bible study of God's Word, a little deeper study of God's Word. And we go over the different parables and stories of the Bible. And we, right now, we're learning about the Holy Spirit and what that means to have the Holy Spirit. And so we're studying and discussing Thursday nights. Thursday nights, we have Deaf Recovery meetings and the purpose of that meeting is for those who are struggling with addictions of whether alcohol, drug abuse, gambling, anger issues, sexual addictions, whatever. Um, it's the truth ministry. I think you have um, Scott Barnes is doing the hearing truth ministry. They're in one section of the building, and then we, the deaf are right across the hall. And so that is happening. On Thursday, what a wonderful opportunity for outreach in the community. Sometimes those that come to the Truth Ministries are court ordered, and they must attend a class, and helping them to um, detach from their various addiction. I also volunteer as a chaplain at the Corcoran Prison. Currently, there are over 100 deaf inmates. What a great opportunity. I've been there since 2004 in prison. What's more? On Tuesday evenings, just recently at the new cafe across the courtyard, we're having parents of deaf children, workshops, or meetings, coming together for some interaction. And we've been having it for three Tuesdays. It's a wonderful outreach. 10 to 15 families are attending. I would say 99% of those families coming are not affiliated with a church. So the families may have deaf children. They need support, resources, they need to learn about deaf culture, et cetera, et cetera. So we are a resource for those families in the community. What a great outreach. Oh, yeah, we still have, like Eric said, we have an ongoing deaf school and church in Haiti. And it's still running strong. God has been good and faithful with the church and school. And that's because of all of your involvement and your support during all the tragedies and the chaos of that country. The church itself remains strong. Praise God. Praise God. Before I begin to I want to give you a few statistics. How many think, how many deaf people do you think live in the world? Give me a number. Come on, give me a number. Anybody? Seven seventy million 70 million deaf people live in the world. Now, let's take it from the world. 70 million deaf people globally how many of them know jesus out of that 70 million under 2% how many use how many sign languages are there in the world there are about 350 different sign languages 350 sign languages in the world 98% out of 350 sign languages Do not have the word of God translated in their own language. That's 98, excuse me, percent. How many deaf people live in California, in our beautiful state of California? Come on. Three million, three million deaf people live in the state of California. Wow. What about Kern County? How many deaf people live in Kern County? Can you give me a guess? I'm looking to the deaf church here. Roughly 5,000 deaf live in Kern County. How many of those 5,000 know and have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? How many would you think? Point. 0.4%. 0.4. Oh, that's not a whole lot, is it? But you know what? I praise God for LBC, for Laurel Glenn Bible Church, who has a place for deaf people, their own place, and hearing people come, and they're learning God's word in their natural language, American Sign Language. Thank you, Eric. Thank you, LBC, for your advocacy and your faithfulness and your prayers. Because, wow, God is doing a great thing and has been for many years at the Deaf Church. So thank you very much, LBC. Oh, I almost forgot. Oh, my gosh, before I keep going. Well, I just want to introduce my interpreter, Deanne Sampley, but I want you to know something. I know her voice is a female voice. I know that. And I'm a man. But don't get confused. These are not her words, right, Deanne? (laughs) I promise, Jeff. I promise. It's your words. Okay. But anyway, thanks for interpreting. Thanks for voicing this morning, Deanne. No problem. But let us begin and let us pray as we share God's Word. Deaf people keep their eyes open, so please keep your eyes open as you watch Jeff pray this morning. Good morning, Lord. You have been faithful to us. Last night, you allowed us to sleep and even wake up this morning. And so we have a refreshed new day with a new heart, a new mindset. And so we pray as a church For open hearts, open minds to receive your message, your word, through the power of your Holy Spirit on this place, in and through me, but on this place. May we look to your word together and experience encouragement, maybe a challenge, a reminder, even be inspired that you love us. You are our advocate and so, Lord, I pray for your protection this morning during our time with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. So this morning, I'm bringing to you the message from 1 Samuel, chapter 20. You can open your Bibles to 1 Samuel, chapter 20. Again, 1 Samuel Chapter 20. For you, the deaf church, I just want to let you know, here at the Hearing Church, they've been studying First Samuel. They're doing a series, so I wanted to let you know that this is a series that the Hearing Church has been going through, and they have asked me to do chapter 20 this morning, so I am going to preach on 1 Samuel chapter 20. Okay? Are you with me, Deaf Church? Good. All right. I'm going to go to verses 1 through 3. That's where I'm going to start. You know the story about David? David, David, David. He's the character this morning. And he has fled from Naoth. He's fleeing from Naoth, and he is wanting to meet his good friend, Jonathan. He's looking, and lo and behold, he finds Jonathan. Hey, Jonathan, what's going on? What have I done wrong? What have I done so wrong to make your dad, your father, who is King Saul, "'Man, he is so angry. What have I done wrong? He's chasing after me, and he wants to kill me.'" So they continue this conversation. Jonathan responds to David, "'I think you're confused, David. My dad wants to kill you?' Mm, "'I don't think so.'" "'Yes, it's true, Jonathan.'" And they continue to speak. And he says, your father, he knows that you and I have a very strong bond. Your father is full well. Maybe he has not wanted to tell you, Jonathan, his plot and plan to kill me. That he hasn't really shared that with you. Maybe you haven't had that conversation because he knows what a deep bond that we have. So this was the narration that was going on in verses 1 through 3 between David and Jonathan. King Saul, third character, oh, he earnestly chased after David. He did want to kill him. Wow. King Saul. He was so jealous and bitter. He had a deep animosity towards David. He was arrogant, big-headed, and King Saul was rebellious towards God in the previous chapters. We read about his rebellion. Remember the war? Remember they, they had a war, and he killed a lot of people, and God says, do not take the treasures from those people. Leave it all Kill the people and leave. Oh, but what did King Saul do? He went to war, he wiped out that people group, and then he took the treasures for himself. That was the beginning of his rebellion. So God's spirit left King Saul, which led to an enhancement or increase of jealousy, bitter, and angry. It truly opened the door to outside threats enemies, evils, negative thoughts, and emotions, and consumed his life, which led to his action, his behavior of pursuing David and wanting to kill him. David will become the next king of Israel. Oh, oh, let me go back. David was hiding, had been hiding King Saul, earnestly pursued him. And that is the beginning of chapter 20, verse 1 through 3. After that, again, David says, hey, give me some clarity, Jonathan. I really want to know what I have done wrong so badly that your dad wants to kill me. But you know, Jonathan doesn't believe it. Jonathan says, I don't really think so, David. So they continued that conversation and came up with a plan. You know, David says, Jonathan, your father knows what a profound bond and friendship we have, and that is the key. Ooh, I jumped ahead. Sorry, I'm so oh, I'm just gonna jump down to verse 14. I'm going to verse 14. Now remember the two of them, David and Jonathan they had a covenant an agreement they supported one another and they had a faithful faithful love the two of them a faith excuse me a faithful agreement a faithful agreement for one another and they did have a faithful love now, I'm going to talk about faithful love. I want to pull that out a little bit. And I did a little bit of research and what that means faithful love. So, what did I do with that? I looked at that and I wanted to look at the Hebrew for faithful love. And the word means Hased. Hased. It's K H E S E D pronounced. Has said, and what does that word mean, faithful love? It has to do with relationship between two individuals. And it's a covenant, an ongoing covenant of a bond, a relationship. And in that relationship, they show love, mercy, compassion, grace, forgiveness. It's an action not just an emotion feelings and emotions are like just a lot of talk i love you i think you're great but there's no action that follow that speech so faithful love or hased has a deeper meaning and that love needs to be shown with action another hebrew word that i want to talk about is called immunia, E M U N A. And that means strong, firm. It never breaks down or cracks or becomes weak. It's a very strong, firm relationship, protected, withstands against enemies. Another Greek word for a strong, faithful love is P-I-S-T-O-S, pistos, pistols. It means truth within that relationship, truth within that love. Nothing can touch it from the outside source, sin, evil. It is a true, honest, genuine, faithful love. All three of those are included and applied to a faithful love that Jonathan and David had. May I give you an example? Well, God, he's the ultimate example of a faithful love. Before I continue with my message, I really want to proceed with two New Testament scriptures, and I'm going to take you to Psalm 119, and it's verse 90. Where does that faithful love come from? God is faithful. Who has called you into fellowship from generation to generation, excuse me, continues through all generations to now, the 21st century, and it will continue forever, next year, tomorrow, forever. Your faithfulness continues to all generations. Again, 1 Corinthians, uh, excuse me, First Corinthians one nine, that applies to a faithful kind of love that God talks about is God Himself is faithful. Who has called you into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord? So Those two scriptures from the New Testament are an example of God's faithful love to us. Now remember, it has to have some action to it. And it is strong. And it is genuine. So what did God do? Let's go back to Adam and Eve when they took that fruit. I know you remember Adam and Eve. Woo! The sin, the nakedness separated them from God, God left the garden. Why did God leave? Why were they ashamed of their nakedness? Because God is holy. He is holy. And he cannot have a relationship with an unholy being that has rebelled. God left. His presence was not there. If God had proceeded to have a relationship with them, with Adam and Eve, as they were in fear of God and they were in their nakedness, what would have happened to Adam and Eve? Well, they would have died instantly. Because God is holy and cannot dwell with sin. Ah, but God demonstrated to Adam and Eve a faithful love, an ongoing love. And we see it throughout Scripture, God's faithfulness, his love for us, through the Old Testament, all the way through the Scriptures to the New Testament. We see God's faithful love. There he is. He sends his son, Jesus Christ, through the Virgin Mary, she becomes pregnant and gives birth to a son. Ah, uh, he grows and later he is crucified on a cross for the sole purpose to extend to us forgiveness of our sins. Oh, so that we can be reconciled to God the Father and have a relationship with God. Ah, uh, because of Jesus Christ. His death on the cross, then in the tomb, one day, two days, three days, he rose. He rose. The purpose of his resurrection was to defeat the darkness of death and sin, to conquer, destroy the evil one. Oh, God, that is a powerful victory for our God. And it gives you and I the victory as well as we live our life in Christ, joined to God. But how can we? How can we be joined as we study and learn and mature and our life changes and as we proceed in this earth? Ah, it is through the power of the Holy Spirit who indwells us, allowing us to proceed in this world according to his plan. Oh, death, our death, Where's the hope that we have? Of course, it is in heaven. Ah, God's faithful love for us all the way through the scriptures. But now, the example of God and his faithful love, it is indwells it us as human beings via the Holy Spirit. Ah, yes. And that Holy Spirit was also in David and Jonathan. They had a spiritual bond, a strong spiritual relationship. Oh, my gosh, I forgot. I got to teach you guys some sign language. Are you awake? Here we go. Friend. Put your two index fingers out and then connect them, one on top of the other. Friend. A friend. Oh, two F hands. You hook them, boom, hook them, and you have a relationship. Comes from me to the person in front of me. Relationship, relationship, friendship, relationship. You guys remember that facial expression? That's not a very good friend. What kind of relationship is that? What a blank. <laughs> Look on your face. Can you have some better? Re- Come on, get your eyebrows down, puff your cheeks out, talk about the deep relationship that you have or friendship that you have. Be happy about it. But now let's focus on that relationship with God. God, that relationship from me, my heart, to God. Oh, relationship to people. Friendship, to see how it differs, go up in the air, you have a relationship with God, do it out in front of you, it talks about people. So, let's go back. Are you with me? Good job, good job, everybody. I'm proud of you. (laughs) But let's go back to David and Jonathan. Verse 14. Okay, so they've made a covenant. They support one another. They have faithful love of one another. And now we get the picture, don't we, of what real faithful love looks like. We, we even learned some Hebrew. We even learned some Greek. And now we have the full vision of the story or clarity of the story. Excuse me. Jonathan, let's go back. He goes back home, and David goes his way and hides. Now Jonathan goes home and he's having a, they're having a big celebratory feast and he's having a discussion with those around the table. King Saul says, as he sits down and he begins to eat, and he's sensitive that the seat that David sits in is void. He's not there. Where is David. So King Saul looks over the situation. Jonathan is at the table. King Saul says the next day, he notices the next day that David is missing. Two days in a row. Oh, he Jonathan says, oh, father, um, David went home to be with his father and have a little, it's with his family, excuse me, in fellowship, and, And so the conversation got so out of whack. Saul flew his top, was out of control. He began to ball out Jonathan, insult Jonathan, calling him names, lashing out. Even took a spear and threw it at his own son. His own son, Jonathan, he throws a spear at him. Jonathan ducks. It goes right by him. Oh, Jonathan goes, well, that's obvious. But my dad, King Saul, wants to kill David. He was right in verses 1, 2, and 3, as we talked about. And David wanted the answer. He wanted to know what he had done wrong. And Jonathan goes, don't worry. I'm going to go and test my dad and see if he really wants to kill you. Ooh. Well, it, Jonathan got the answer. He was full of a deep desire to kill David. So Jonathan saw with his own eyes what had happened. But but Jonathan was the same. He loved that relationship with David. It was genuine. He cherished him. He wanted to protect him. He wanted to honor God in the process. So Jonathan David got back together and said, David, you're right. My dad's after you. He does want to murder you. You're right. So, verse 42, I'm going all the way. I just gave you all those verses in the synopsis, and I'm going now to verse 42. He says, David, Jonathan says, David, go in peace. For we have already made a pact in the Lord's name, You and I, we have entrusted each other and even each other's children into the Lord's hands. My children, your children. That bonds us together in the name of the Lord forever. Now let's see. If you know the full story or you want to know the full story in detail, please go home and read chapter 20. Read it in detail. All the different occurrences of the relationship. But this morning, ah, we need to look at Jonathan and David's relationship. What was transpiring between the two of them? That particular relationship is a model, is a model for all of us. If we are a believer, look at them. Look at their friendship. Look at their character and see how it can apply to us. I'm not talking about the outside world. I'm talking about believers, Christians, and the kind of relationship that God wants us to have biblically, How what God teaches and and scripts to us and tells us what kind of relationships we should have in adherence with the word of God. Now, we as Christians, you sitting right here, I hope this is an encouragement that you can follow the model of Jonathan and David. Hmm, it should make you think, what made them so strong? Well, I did a little research out there. You know, two out of five Christians, two out of five Christians do not have a profound Friendship or relationship with another Christian, which means three thirty-nine percent of Christians don't have a deep relationship with another individual. One out of five experience profound loneliness. Average ongoing bond or friendship, the average year. How many years is seven years? That's the average time frame of a relationship. Now, in the olden days, with friends and relationships, before they would have four friends, five friends. Now, maybe we might have two So we have to look at that and look at that statistic and the research. And I think it proves to us that we as Christians need, desperately need, to establish some friendships and relationships, deep, profound relationships. For the purpose, I'll give you four. Four purposes to have a godly, healthy friendship. That healthy friendship, first of all, is God-centered. It keeps God in the center. It's just not me and my own emotion and me doing the friendship on my own. You're like, hey, let's go have some fun. Let's go hunting and golfing and fishing. And we initiate all the relationships, but God is not included in that relationship. I'm, why is that? Well, I'm going to give you four purposes to have a healthy, godly friendship. Let's go to number one. To have a good, strong, healthy Christian relationship, it will then help you and I to have, well, enjoy a full enjoyment or pleasure. It enhances our pleasure with God. That person that I'm friends with through our interaction and our talking and the way that we discuss things, it is about God. We talk about his love. We talk about his mercy and grace and his power and the wonderful things, and we honor his name together. We even talk about his provisions and his creation and all that he has done for us. We, and my friend and I, we talk about God. And it brings us great pleasure and inspiration to talk and have God at the center of our relationship. Well, what happens when you try to do it alone? Who do I talk to? Hmm. No one wants to talk to me about God. Okay. Hmm, 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 hmm. And so we become lonely, all alone. We need a strong Christian friend, that we can talk about spiritual things in an intense manner, that we can talk about as creation. We can go, we can talk about church, the community. We as believers coming together. Why do we come together? So that we can fully, fully interact. God through music, worship, learning his word, through the teachings of the pastors, fellowship with one another, meetings, oh my gosh, discussion. And then it enhances our joy for God. That was the first one. Second one, if we have a strong, intimate friend, what does that friend do for us? Mm, Exposes sin. Exposes our sin. Why? Why is that so important? Well, if we continue to live in our sin, it hinders our relationship with God. We kind of get stuck. We need a good, intimate friend that will discuss and show us our sin. We help one another to look and detect those things that are hindering us from God. You know, many times that person that's sinning has blind spots, all the sin that's sticking to them, so to speak, and they can't see it in themselves, and they just proceed with life, and then that good friend comes along and says, hey, friend, I need to explain something to you. What? I'm doing this? I'm doing that? But of course, you do it with love and tenderness and kindness and grace and encouragement, not you know what, you need to straighten your life out. I'm judging you. You know what, you got to, come on. And they're critical in the way they approach it. And then you take their sin and, oh, you put it on social media. Guess what so-and-so is doing. Oh, I got to put that on Instagram. Shame on you for doing that. I'm going to tell the whole world about that. Oh, my gosh, does that stir up t- embarrassment, depression, loneliness, Stop it. Time out. Stop using social media in that manner. It's a one on one situation with an intimate friend, somebody that wants to open themselves up to you so that they don't mind being exposed, which allows them to re- repent, receive forgiveness, and free to walk in newness of life in the relationship with God. Oh, don't we need a friend like that? Don't we? That's the second reason. Oh my gosh, David was such a good example of that in chapter 20, verse one through three. David, what did he do? He initiated, he ran over physically, looked for Jonathan and goes, Jonathan, what did I do wrong? He wanted to know, did I act wrong? Did I say something wrong to the king? What did I do? Why is your dad so mad? He's chasing after me. He wants to kill me. Find out, Jonathan, why What have I done wrong? And they had a really good, healthy discussion. Gosh, we need to emulate that. We need a friend like that. It helps us. Oh, yes, I am doing this sin. I am acting the wrong way. I need to repent, maybe forgive that person or say sorry to that person and give it to God so I can worship freely with God. In James chapter five, I'm going verse 16. James 5, verse 16 says what? Confess your sins to one another. And then pray for one another. The purpose is so that you can be healed. The third purpose, to have a strong friendship, relationship. Ah, that friend encourages us to obedience to God. You know, we need a friend to maybe help us, not to maybe be rebellious. They can detect our rebellious. Or maybe we're full of lethargy. We are lazy people. Oh, my gosh. I don't want to pray. Oh, my gosh. Oh, gosh, I don't want to read the Bible. Oh, you know, my mind, you know, it just drifts. I, I just can't get into it. You know, I don't like to have relationships with those people. And so we began to detach ourselves. That friend says, uh-uh-uh. I can see you're a little rebellious, a little lazy. Come on, I want to encourage you. And hopefully that friend is receptive, changes, And wants to be obedient. I think that that good friend keeps us on the right path. A path that honors God. What happens when we are left alone in this Christian life? We're not effective. We're not effective for God. So I wanted to add to my talk. Ecclesiastes. Ecclesi... Excuse me. Ecclesiastes. Yes. In the Old Testament. Chapter 4, verse 9. 9 and 10. The scripture states, ah, yes. Two are better than one. If left to a single person and you fall down that second person can come and help and lift you up. If there's one and you fall, you're left to drift. Who's there to encourage you, to support you? Oh, that verse leads us back to the fourth purpose. Oh, we need a friend, a Christian friend, a strong bond because that person brings us to an intimate relationship with our God. You know, when I was preparing for this sermon, and I did a little bit of a research, and, you know, the average person has a lot of thoughts in their head during the day, lots of thoughts. How many thoughts per day do you think you have? Give me a guess. How many thoughts every single day? I can't hear you. Go ahead. I'll, we'll interpret for you. Holler it out. 10,000. <clears> hey, that's a good guess. Whoever said 10,000, 12,000 to 50,000 per day, per 24 hours. 12,000 to 50,000 in a single day thoughts all day. Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. But what's the percentage of those thoughts that are negative? How, what's the percent of percentage? Someone said 90%, pretty close. 80% of those thoughts are negative. Negative, negative, negative all day long. And they stay in your brain to the next day. So you bring them with you. 95% of negativity is carried over to the next day. And then it goes forward. We continue those negative thoughts. Oh, my goodness. Negative thoughts can consume your life. That, my friends, is what happened to King Saul. He had negativity going on in his brain, jealousy, pride, competition. Oh, he had his own plans, and it was one of destruction. That's where his mind was. His life was consumed with negativity, so he carried out those negative thoughts with actions of murder, May I say, I think he was insane. But why? How did that begin? Maybe he didn't have that accountability of a friend. He had nobody. But David and Jonathan had each other. That friendship can prevent the negativity from consuming us. Oh, the outside world, it can consume us. And we stay focused when that friend helps us. You know, that's why we need a strong, spiritual, Christian friend. Someone that supports us and leads us to the cross, leads us to God. Are you alone? Man, it's so easy to get discouraged and depressed when we're alone. Then we really start thinking negative thoughts. So easy when you're alone. The scripture talks about, you know, Satan is like a roaring lion. Looking for someone to devour, boom, and wants to consume you. Ah, Christians, we need that spiritual friend and advocacy, someone who will protect us, have our backs, so that we're not consumed by the evil. That's just an example I wanted to give you. As I look back, um, you know, I was riding my bike across America when I was younger. I was in a Christian bike group, and there were seven or eight of us in a line when we were pedaling across the United States. Oh, but me, oh, man, me, I was always in the back. Way, way, way in the back. <laughs> Pedaling up the hill. But my group, grope would just kind of go off without me. But they were wonderful. They were good. They'd kind of wait for me. They were patient with me. They'd turn around and come back and get me and encourage me. Come on. Jeff, you can do it. Let's do it together up this hill. Come on, here's my water, Jeff. Take my water. I'm there for you, side by side. Ah, that's how I made it across America. Without that friendship and that support, I wanted to quit. I was done. Bye-bye, group. I'm out of here. Are you with me on that illustration? Back to the Word of God. We need a friend. A bond, someone who can support us and lead us to God and to stay in that relationship. Once more, after all those four applications, they can really bring honor to God in that relationship. It glorifies His name. It honors Him. We follow the Word of God where we receive that foundation. And it helps you and I to prepare for our future death and entering in of eternal life. Are you ready? Are you prepared? It does prepare us to go to our eternal home. Oh my gosh, we have so much to learn from 1 Samuel chapter 20. It certainly points to how to have a healthy, godly relationship with one another and with God. But I'm going to end with a question for all of you. Do you have that intimate Christian relationship, a strong, healthy, godly, God-centered friendship? Do you have someone? If you do, awesome. Keep it going. If you don't, it's kind of wishy-washy. You're struggling you're weak, you don't have really strong Christian relationships, I want to encourage you to go to God and ask him and say, God, I want to find the right friend. I want to build a mature spiritual friend that we can talk about spiritual things, encourage one another, strengthen one another, protect one another, and keep us in a strong bond and relationship with our God. Let us pray. Hey, thank you, Lord, this for this morning's message that you have given us through your word. Ah, uh, we can see clearly how important relationships, Christian relationships are. We saw the model in David and Jonathan. Wow, that's such a great example all of us as believers. Let us look to First Samuel chapter 20. Now we know what a strong spiritual relation looks like. And so, Father, we open our hearts and our minds to receive the message that you had for us this morning. As we leave, I pray that it's applied to our lives and we think about our relationships, not only with you, but with one another. Give us wisdom, Father, to lead and to receive your encouragement, would you show us through the power of your Holy Spirit our next step? And we will thank you. We honor you. We love you. We thank you that you cherish us and you care for us, each and every one of us in this place. You love us, and we thank you for that. And we, in turn, love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Eric?
0: Let's give Pastor Jeff a thank you, everyone. Yes. Thank you. Uh, Here at LBC, we do uh, communion two times a month. Uh, We believe communion is a symbolic act of the remembering of what Christ did on the cross. As uh, we reflect on 1 Samuel 20, I think Pastor Jeff did such a good job of helping us understand something is that our relationship with God drives our relationship with each other. And so as we go into a time of communion, uh, it's really important maybe that we just think through uh, how have we sinned against God by sinning against each other. Uh, So just to think through some relationship ideas, you know, that maybe we're not being a brother or sister in Christ the way God calls us to, uh, through gossip or through envy or jealousy or bitterness or hatred in our heart, that we harbor it and we uh, have negative feelings towards people, and that God's design for us isn't that friendships would be a source of pain, but a source of joy and encouragement and help uh, in our walk with him. And so as we walk through uh, communion, it's a great time to A, say, God, how have I been unfaithful to you? We always want to do that and repent of that, but also to look through and say, God, I've been unfaithful in my friendships. I have anger. I have, you know, I've gossiped. I've used people to feel better about myself. I've betrayed, I have hatred, and release that to the Lord in communion, in that prayer. Uh, 1 Corinthians 11 reminds us uh, to be very serious when we partake in communion. Uh, Verse 27 reads, says, Whoever therefore eats of the bread or drinks of the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. And so that examining takes place of how how have I been unfaithful to the Lord? In my friendships, how have I been unfaithful? And it's hard. We can't control what the people around us do, but we can control what we do. And part of that control is confessing to the Lord that we have not been faithful in these friendships, that we have not been faithful and godly in the way we treat people. And to ask God to forgive us, to heal us of the wounds and help us to be like him to each other the way he designed and called it. And so after I pray, you're gonna have a time to do this on your own. Um, just simple uh, reminder, encouragement, do the bread first so that you don't spill the juice. And you're gonna take that in your own time, walk through uh, just confessing to the Lord of unfaithfulness, but then focus on how he's been faithful to you how he's loved you, forgiven you, given, shown mercy, shown grace, the gift of Jesus, the gift of the church and celebrate in that prayer for all he's done. And as you go through that process, John will come up and he'll lead us in a great celebration for what Christ has done. And so you move from mourning to sin to celebrating Jesus as a community together. As brothers and sisters in Christ, we mourn our sin and then we celebrate what Christ has done through that, through the cross, through the forgiveness of sins. So I'm gonna pray and then do that in your own time. And John will lead us in worship. Let's pray. God, we love you and we praise you for Jesus. We're thankful that we have each other. And when we ask that you would forgive us As sometimes we use each other uh, in gossip or envy or slander, or that we hold on to anger and we don't forgive one another. Our prayers, we'd go into communion and just see how you've loved us perfectly and completely and faithfully and that we would repent of our sin and turn towards you and love our brothers and sisters in the way that you've deeply loved us. And then we would celebrate your goodness and greatness through worship. We thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.